Section three of Policeman Blue Jay by L. Frank Baum. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jude Summers. Chapter five The Oriole's Story. We are really very happy in this forest, said an Oriole that sat next to Twinkle, and we would have no fears at all did not the men with guns, who are called hunters, come here now and then to murder us. They are terribly wild and ferocious creatures who have no hearts at all. Oh, they must have hearts, said Twinkle, else they couldn't live, for one's heart has to beat to keep a person alive, you know. Perhaps it's their gizzards that beat, replied the Oriole reflectively, for they are certainly heartless and very wicked. A cousin of mine, Susie Oriole, had a very brave and handsome husband. They built a pretty nest together, and Susie laid four eggs in it that were so perfect that she was very proud of them. The eggs were nearly ready to hatch when a great man appeared in the forest and discovered Susie's nest. Her brave husband fought desperately to protect their home, but the cruel man shot him, and he fell to the ground dead. Even then Susie would not leave her pretty eggs, and when the man climbed the tree to get them she screamed and tried to peck out his eyes. Usually we Orioles are very timid, you know, so you can well understand how terrified Susie was to fight against this giant foe. But he had a club in his hand, with which he dealt my poor cousin such a dreadful blow that she was sent whirling through the air and sank half unconscious into a bush a few yards away. After this the man stole the eggs from the nest, and also picked up the dead body of Susie's husband and carried it away with him. Susie recovered somewhat from the blow she had received, and when she saw her eggs and her poor dead husband being taken away, she managed to flutter along after the man and followed him until he came to the edge of the forest. There he had a horse tied to a tree, and he mounted upon the beast's back and rode away through the open country. Susie followed him just far enough away to keep the man in sight, without being noticed herself. By and by he came to a big house, which he entered, closing the door behind him. Susie flew into a tree beside the house and waited sorrowfully, but in patience, for a chance to find her precious ones again. The days passed drearily, one after another, but in about a week my cousin noticed that one of the windows of the house had been left open. So she boldly left her tree and flew in at the window, and luckily none of the people who lived in the house happened to be in the room. Imagine Susie's surprise when she saw around the sides of the room many birds sitting silently upon limbs cut from trees, and among them her own husband, as proud and beautiful as he had ever been before the cruel man had killed him. She quickly flew to the limb and perched beside her loved one. "'Oh, my darling!' she cried. "'How glad I am to have found you again, and to see you alive and well, when I had mourned you as dead. Come with me at once, and we will return to our old home in the forest.' But the bird remained motionless, and made no reply to her loving words. She thrust her bill beside his, and tried to kiss him, but he did not respond to the caress, and his body was stiff and cold. Then Susie uttered a cry of grief, and understood the truth. Her husband was indeed dead, but had been stuffed and mounted upon the limb to appear as he had in life. Small wires had been pushed through his legs to make his poor body stand up straight, and to Susie's horror she discovered that his eyes were only bits of glass. All the other birds in the room were stuffed in the same way. They looked as if they were alive at the first glance, but each body was cold and every voice mute. 
They were mere mockeries of the beautiful birds that this heartless and cruel man had deprived of their joyous lives. Susie's loving heart was nearly bursting with pain as she slowly fluttered toward the open window by which she had entered. But on her way a new anguish overtook her, for she noticed a big glass case against the wall in which were arranged clusters of eggs stolen from birds of almost every kind. Yes, there were her own lovely eggs, scarcely an inch from her face, but separated from her by a stout glass that would not be broken, though she madly dashed her body against it again and again. Finally, realizing her helplessness, poor Susie left the room by the open window and flew back to the forest, where she told us all the terrible things she had seen. No one was able to comfort her, for her loving heart was broken, and after that she would often fly away to the house to peer through the window at her eggs and her beautiful husband. One day she did not return, and after waiting for her nearly two weeks, we sent the blue jay to see what had become of her. Our policeman found the house, and also found the window of the room open. He boldly entered, and discovered Susie and her husband sitting side by side upon the dried limb, their bodies both stiff and dead. The man had caught the poor wife at last, and the lovers were reunited in death. Also, Policeman Blue Jay found his grandfather's mummy in this room, and the stuffed mummies of many other friends he had known in the forest. So he was very sorrowful when he returned to us, and from that time we have feared the heartless men more than ever. It is a sad story, sighed Twinkle, and I've no doubt it is a true one. But all men are not so bad, I'm sure. All men who enter the forest are, answered the Oriole positively for they only come here to murder and destroy those who are helpless before their power, but have never harmed them in the least. If God loves the birds, as I am sure he does, why do you suppose he made their ferocious enemies the men? Twinkle did not reply, but she felt a little ashamed. End of chapter 5 Chapter 6 A Merry Adventure "'Talking about men,' said the cuckoo, in a harsh but not unpleasant voice, "'reminds me of a funny adventure I once had myself. "'I was sitting in my nest one day, at the time when I was quite young, "'when suddenly a man appeared before me. "'You must know that this nest, which was rather carelessly built by my mother, "'was in a thick evergreen tree, and not very high from the ground, "'so that I found the man's eyes staring squarely into my own. "'Most of you, my dears, have seen men.' "'but this was the strangest sort of man you can imagine. "'There was white hair upon his face, "'so long that it hung down to his middle, "'and over his eyes were round plates of glass "'that glittered very curiously. "'I was so astonished at seeing the queer creature "'that I sat still and stared, "'and this was my undoing. "'For suddenly there came a rapid whoosh through the air, "'and a network of cords fell all around and over me. "'Then, indeed, I spread my wings and attempted to fly.' but it was too late. I struggled in the net without avail, and soon gave up the conflict in breathless despair. My captor did not intend to kill me, however. Instead, he tried to soothe by fright, and carried me very gently for many, many miles, until we came to a village of houses. Here, at the very top of a high house, the man lived in one little room. It was all littered with tools and bits of wood, and on a broad shelf were several queer things that went every minute. I was thrust, gently enough, into a wooden cage, 
where I lay upon the bottom more dead than alive, because the ticking things at first scared me dreadfully, and I was in constant terror lest I should be tortured or killed. But the glass-eyed old man brought me dainty things to eat, and plenty of fresh water to relieve my thirst, and by the next day my heart had stopped going pity-pat, and I was calm enough to stand up in my cage and look around me. My white-whiskered captor sat at a bench with his coat off and his bald head bare, while he worked away busily putting little wheels and springs together, and fitting them into a case of wood. When one of them was finished, it would sing, Tick-tock, tick-tock, just like the other queer things on the shelf, and this constant ticking so interested me that I raised my head and called out, Cuckoo! Cuckoo! That's it, cried the old man delightedly. That's what I wanted to hear. It's the real cuckoo at last, and not a bit like those cheap imitations. I didn't understand at first what he meant, but he worked at his bench all day, and finally brought to my cage a bird made out of wood, that was carved and painted to look just as I was. It seemed so natural that I flapped my wings and called cuckoo to it, and the man pressed a little bellows at the bottom of the bird and made it say cuckoo in return. But that cry was so false and unreal that I shouted with laughter, and the glass-eyed old man shook his head sadly and said, "'That will never do. That will never do in the world.' So all the next day he worked hard trying to make his wooden bird say, "'Cuckoo!' in the proper way, and at last it really spoke quite naturally, so that it startled even me when I heard it. This seemed to please my captor very much, so he put it inside one of the ticking things on the shelf and by and by a door opened, and the wooden bird jumped out and cried, Cuckoo! 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 and then jumped back again, and the door closed with a snap. Bravo! cried the old white hare, but I was rather annoyed, for I thought the wooden bird was impudent in trying to ape the ways of live cuckoos. I shouted back a challenge to it, but there was no reply. An hour later, and every hour, it repeated the performance, but jumped behind the door when I offered to fight it. The next day the man was absent from the room, and I had nothing to eat. So I became angry and uneasy. I scratched away at the wooden bars of my cage and tried to twist them with my beak, and at last one of them, to my great joy, came loose, and I was able to squeeze myself out of the cage. But then I was no better off than before, because the windows and the door of the room were fast shut. I grew more cross and ill-tempered than before, when I discovered this and to add to my annoyance that miserable wooden bird would every once in a while jump out and yell cuckoo and then bounce back into its house again without daring to argue with me this at last made me frantic with rage and i resolved to be revenged the next time the wooden bird made its appearance i fell upon it in a flash and knocked it off the little platform before it had uttered its cry more than twice it fell upon the floor and broke one of its wings but in an instant I dashed myself upon it and bit and scratched the impudent thing until there was not a bit of paint left upon it. Its head came off, too, and so did its legs and the other wing, and before I was done with it no one ever would have known it was once a clever imitation of myself. Finding that I was victorious, I cried, Cuckoo! in triumph, and just then the little door of the ticking thing opened, and the platform where the wooden bird had stood came out of it, and remained for a time motionless. I quickly flew up and perched upon it, and shouted, Cuckoo! again, in great glee. As I did so, to my amazement, the platform on which I stood leapt backwards, 
carrying me with it, and the next instant the door closed with a snap, and I found myself in darkness. Wildly I fluttered my wings, but it was of no use. I was in a prison much worse than the cage, and so small that I could hardly turn around in it. I was about to die of terror and despair, when I chanced to remember that at certain times the door would open to push out the bird and allow it to say, Cuckoo, before it shut again. So the next time it opened in this way, I would be able to make my escape. Very patiently I waited in the dark little hole, listening to the steady tick-tock of the machinery behind me and trying not to be nervous. After a while I heard the old man come into the room and exclaimed sorrowfully because his captive cuckoo had escaped from its cage. He could not imagine what had become of me, and I kept still and laughed to myself to think how I would presently surprise him. It seemed an age before I finally heard the click that opened the door in front of me. Then the platform on which I sat sprang out, and I fluttered my wings and yelled, Cuckoo! Cuckoo! as loud as I could. The old man was standing right in front of me his mouth wide open with astonishment at the wonderfully natural performance of his wooden bird, as he thought me. He shouted, Bravo! again, and clapped his hands. And at that I flew straight into his face and clawed his white hair with all my might and screamed as loud as I could. He screamed too, being taken by surprise, and tumbled over backward so that he sat down upon the floor with a loud bump. I flew to the workbench, and then the truth dawned upon him that I was not the wooden bird, but the real one. "'Good gracious,' said he, "'I've left the window open. The rascal will escape.' I glanced at the window and saw that it was indeed wide open. The sight filled me with triumphant joy. Before the old man could get up upon his feet and reach the window, I had perched upon the sill, and with one parting cry of, "'Cuckoo!' I spread my wings and flew straight into the air." Well, I never went back to inquire if he enjoyed the trick I had played upon him, but I've laughed many a time when I thought of the old fellow's comic expression, when a real cuckoo, instead of a painted one, flew out of his ticking machine. As the cuckoo ended his tale, the other birds joined in a chorus of shrill laughter, but Chubbins said to them gravely, He was a smart man, though, to make a cuckoo clock. I saw one myself one time, and it was a wonderful thing. The cuckoo told what time it was every hour. Was it made of wood? asked the blue jay. I don't know that, replied the boy lark, but of course it wasn't a real bird. It only shows, remarked the bobolink, how greatly those humans admire us birds. They make pictures of us and love to keep us in cages so they can hear us sing, and they even wear us in their bonnets after we're dead. I think it's a dreadful thing, said the goldfinch with a shudder but it only proves that men are our greatest enemies. And don't forget the women, said Twinkle. It's the women that wear birds in their hats. Mankind, said Robin Redbreast gravely, is the most destructive and bloodthirsty of all the brute creation. They not only kill for food, but through vanity and a desire for personal adornment. I have even heard it said that they kill for amusement, being unable to restrain their murderous desires. In this, they are more cruel than the serpents. There is some excuse for the poor things, observed the blue jay, for nature created them dependent upon the animals and birds and fishes. Having neither fur nor feathers to protect their poor skinny bodies, they wear clothing made of the fleece of sheep and skins of seals and beavers and otters and even the humble muskrats. 
they cover their feet and their hands with skins of beasts they sleep upon the feathers of birds their food is the flesh of beasts and birds and fishes no created thing is so dependent upon others as man therefore he is the greatest destroyer in the world but he is not alone in his murderous despoiling instinct while you rail at man my friends do not forget that birds are themselves the greatest enemies of birds nonsense cried the magpie indignantly perhaps the less you say about this matter the better declared the blue jay swinging his club in a suggestive manner and looking sharply at the magpie it's a slander said the blackbird i'm sure you can't accuse me of injuring birds in any way if you are all innocent why are we obliged to have a policeman inquired the little wren in a nervous voice tell me said twinkle appealing to the blue jay are the big birds really naughty to the little ones why it is the same with us as it is with men replied the policeman there are good ones and bad ones among us and the bad ones have to be watched men destroy us wantonly other animals and sly serpents prey upon us and our eggs for food but these are open enemies and we know how we may best avoid them our most dangerous foes are those bandits of our own race who instead of protecting their brethren steal our eggs and murder our young they are not always the biggest birds by any means that do these things the crow family is known to be treacherous and the shrike is rightly called the butcher bird but there are many others that we have reason to suspect feed upon their own race how dreadful exclaimed the girl lark the birds all seemed restless and uneasy at this conversation and looked upon one another with suspicious glances but the blue jay soothed them by saying after all i suppose we imagine more evil than really exists and sometimes accuse our neighbors wrongfully but the mother birds know how often their nests have been robbed in their absence and if they suspect some neighbor of the crime instead of a prowling animal it is but natural since many birds cannot be trusted there are laws in the forest of course but the guilty ones are often able to escape i'll tell you of a little tragedy that happened only last week which will prove how apt we are to be mistaken end of section three